Welcome to the Career Happiness Podcast. My name is Soma Ghosh. I'm a careers advisor and business owner. In this podcast, we're going to talk about what your career means to you and what uniquely defines your career and your version of success and what it means for you to be career happy at work and in your business. This podcast is for professional women who are looking to gain more within their career, to find a new job, find a new career, or potentially start a portfolio career or business. It's also for parents of teenagers who want to find out more about careers advice and information and feel like they want to help their teenagers to go off and pursue careers that they actually really, really want. And lastly, it's for business owners and people who want to start a business and feel inspired by their career and business collectively. So I hope that you enjoy this new season of the podcast and thanks for listening. So in this week's episode, I'm really, really um, excited to be sharing this episode with you, actually. It was a really, really insightful um, podcast interview that I did with Natasha Tawari and Natasha is a psychologist and psychotherapist and um, she has been featured quite a lot in lots of different publications like Glamour, BBC, um, The Telegraph, etc and she shares a lot of her knowledge in this episode around um, well-being, psychology and um, a lot of the really, really great work that she's doing to support families and children. But we also spoke about um, kind of the psychological impact that workplace bullying has on you as an individual. We talk about that from a psychological perspective. And I did say that I was going to have somebody come on and talk about that from the psychological perspective, because, yes, I can talk about it but I always think it's important to have other voices and perspectives and real experts who are doing amazing work in in the line of work that they're doing to come on and talk about it. And Natasha spoke about the shame that we feel if we're being bullied at work. And that was really, really interesting because I think a lot of the time, shame is not something that um, is addressed enough And I really loved how she explained this. And if you are going through workplace bullying, I mean, this episode is going out during um, Workplace Bullying Awareness um, Week and it is Workplace Bullying Prevention Month. I do really want you to think about if you have witnessed or been a bystander of bullying, how has that affected you? And, you know, have you felt shame around it? Um, But one of the other things that we spoke about that I was really excited to speak about her with was narcissism and how it really kind of links to your personality. The fact that obviously it is a disorder, the fact that, um, you know, narcissism in the workplace, she gave some really, really valuable tips on what to do if maybe you're dealing with a narcissist or how to spot one. And the fact that it is thrown around quite a lot, something that I did mention in my episode But I wanted to make sure I did it because it had come up with so many of my clients and it's come up with me and it's an ongoing issue for many. And we also looked at, you know, kind of feeling safe at work and the psychological impact of um, what it's like when maybe you're working with toxic people and, you know, how 
the pandemic and how kind of COVID-19 and even though we're in the after effects and we're kind of, you know, most of us have been vaccinated, um, I'm working back in schools and I'm noticing that young people are still really very much affected by it. And I work with parents and we spoke about that and we spoke about, you know, the importance of carrying on and talking about mental health and the importance of just talking and talking and talking about it and helping people with it. So I really, really enjoyed doing this episode and kind of speaking with Natasha as always but I know you're going to enjoy this one because she really really um, impressed me with um, not just her knowledge but with her insights they were very kind of um, powerful but grounded so without further ado I'm going to pass you along to her and as always you know what to do if you have enjoyed this episode review share subscribe thanks so much so hello everybody we have a great guest with us here today hey natasha how are you so i'm so excited to be here i'm really good great great um so we have known each other for a while i think we actually met on facebook didn't we is that correct yeah, we were connected in, uh, I think it was a group of uh, brown and black women who are in creative profession. Yeah, yeah. And I remember us having a really, really lovely conversation about what we both do. And from there, for a while, you've been on my radar to come on here. And I just want to say thank you for taking the time to be here today, firstly. No, my pleasure. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I'm really excited too. And Natasha is a psychologist, an award-winning psychologist. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that would be me in a quick nutshell. <laughs> awesome, awesome. But so the audience kind of knows a little bit more about you, can you just tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, of course. So um, I've been really fortunate uh, to come to a point in my career where uh, I am balancing a portfolio career. So the first piece uh, is that I run a company which I founded called The Veda Group. Um, and there, alongside a really brilliant team, we work with uh, private family clients uh, for their children aged through from zero to, to 24, 25. So really preschool or preparing for preschool right through to postgraduate age uh, on securing education goals. Um, also providing the full spectrum of solutions and services for mental health challenges. Um, and that, that really does span the full spectrum of issues that can occur for kids and teens. And then also crisis management. So when a family finds themselves in a situation which they don't know how to navigate and it is providing or it is creating a real threat to their children's well-being and sense of opportunity, we come in and we really make that right. Uh, the second piece of my work, which I get really excited about also, is uh, an executive coaching practice I have where I work with leaders and rising leaders, um, and I really work to take them to the peak of their self-actualizing states so that they can experience um, really all of the best that comes with having uh, a competitive, exciting um, career in leadership. Uh, and I've been really fortunate to have my, uh, my thoughts and my work recognised uh, fairly regularly in, by the BBC, The Telegraph, uh, and glossy mags like Glamour and GQ. So between oh. those three things, I, I stay busy. 
Wow. And kind of going back a little bit there, um, Natasha, you mentioned something very interesting. So you work with a lot of um, students, Mm -hmm. but you also have your own private um, kind of coaching practice. How, How did that kind of happen what is this kind of story behind that I'm intrigued a little bit <laughs> and that bit more sounds very interesting I think it's a uh, you know I think for all of us we all in our careers go through an evolution hmm. and for me this has just been how my career has evolved so I started my career when I was 20 um doing the teach first program which if you're not familiar what they their I, I guess their motto is that they say they're going to take graduates from the worst universities uh, sorry the best universities one way around <laughs> <laughs> the country's yes. best universities and put them into the world uh, I keep saying world into the country's worst mm. schools to try and raise the standard and so that's yeah. where I really got my first insights into learning accelerated learning student progress and understanding what kids need um and it wasn't long after that that I, I started my own business in the education space but as the years went on uh, I qualified as a psychotherapist and psychoanalyst I also went out of my way to go and learn from the greats so I went and learned in person from people like Esther Perel, Brené Brown, Deepak Chopra um, and in that time as my business was growing obviously you grow a team and you have great people who can support you in the work you're doing and as my skill set was growing that simultaneously also opened up some space for me to start working with adult clients who were seeing the results that I was getting with kids uh, and teenagers and some of those teenagers were talking about actually kids who were moving into their early 20s and the methodologies um, the methodologies around thinking about peak performance were not so different just applied mm. differently and so yeah it, it is very much so what I said before about an, an evolution and um, but also mm. from a creative perspective it's been really exciting for me to be able to explore those different facets um, of psychology mm. and to work with brilliant people at different ages in the age spectrum yeah no it sounds really really interesting because um the, the reason why I wanted to really ask about those obviously I was aware of your teacher training but also you know the fact that you are a psychologist and you are a psychotherapist and there's a lot of depth to that and it's it's just really fascinating I'm always fascinated by these kind of things because I studied psychology um and it it sounds as though you, you do really really great work um one of the next things that I really want to kind of ask you Natasha kind of in line with this month and something that I think you know and probably are aware I'm quite passionate about is is bullying because I've been bullied in the workplace and when I was a child as well and this month is National Bullying Prevention Month and kind of in line with this I wanted to ask you kind of a little bit about the psychological impact bullying can have on you in the workplace and what can we do to make sure we are aware of it? Yeah I think this is such an important topic that doesn't get it doesn't get addressed often enough, especially when we talk about mental health. Um, and interestingly, I mean, from a professional perspective, we see lots of families coming to us talking about their children who've been bullied. Yeah. Uh, and we see the impact. But it's interesting how at the adult stage, there's a lot more shame that people carry around having experienced it. And because there's that sense of shame, people don't want to put a voice to it. Um, but the, the impact is as devastating as it is with kids. Um, yeah. I think the way that bullying hurts hurts us is that it's an, it's an erosion at our self-esteem. 
and it's an erosion at our ability to be happy. And even more frighteningly, it's an erosion at our ability to feel safe in a place that we should feel safe. And so what that does is to our nervous systems, it puts us in a state of, I mean, everyone's heard of fight or flight. Yeah. It puts us into that state of fight or flight. But when you live in a state of fight or flight, what you're actually doing is to your body without knowing so it's an unconscious experience but your body will be subject to those stress hormones constantly and we have not evolved in a way to be able to uh, manage that it's like poison like really Um, in a state of constant stress your immune system suffers your capacity to be happy suffers your ability to sleep well suffers and i can i can go endlessly in that way but if you imagine if all of that is also now um complicated by the fact that work is supposed to be a place where you get security from like financial security it's very easy to see how very quickly bullying in the workplace can massively destroy your quality of life mm-hmm. and from that is no small thing yeah, and it's interesting what you said about the shame because I remember when I was being bullied at work and when I've spoken to some of my clients who are going through bullying or any kind of form of discrimination, which is still kind of bullying, mm-hmm. um, the shame is just, it's at the forefront. I mean, with the shame, do you think it's 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 because there's a denial about it or do you think it's more to do with the fact that we as adults kind of are a little bit more prouder? What do you, What do you think causes the shame? Natasha? Oh, great question. So I think there are probably a couple of uh, core features that sit at the root of it. So the first is an internalization of what's happened, the cause of what's happening. So the belief that you, this is happening to you because on some level you have done something to deserve it. And so it's likely also that the person who is bullying you has also spotted a vulnerability in you that they can exploit. Um, Mm. That sense that this is happening and you're suffering and it's your fault makes it hard to speak out. I think there's a second piece around perception. Often, in scenarios where people feel like they're being bullied, they're having that bullying experience, the person who's bullying them usually in some way has more power than them in the workplace. And so now it's become complicated on how to navigate that and still, like I said before, retain some sense of security Mm. in the workplace. In a Mm. workplace environment, what the the fear that exists is that you might tell others this is happening and now you've put your role in jeopardy because you've now come across as somebody who, uh, quote unquote, is creating drama. And there's also a a sense of shame then that sits around that. Nobody wants to be feeling as if they're that person that makes, quote unquote, something out of nothing. Mm. And I think that there has been for a long time, especially in certain industries, a narrative of, well, you know, it's just banter and you're being oversensitive. And usually for those people who are experiencing that kind of feeling or that kind of narrative in their mind, it's, there's usually a rooting at childhood where at some point somebody said, you know, you make things out of nothing, you're overdramatic, you attention seek, you're oversensitive. And so actually it really does hit at a, at a very raw trigger point. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I think, you know, what you're talking about with the banter or even 
sometimes some people are you know almost subtly gaslighted into thinking they're causing trouble I mean I've heard all sorts of stories and it it really does have an emotional impact Natasha and I really really appreciate you um sharing all of that because I think if anybody is being bullied in alignment with National Bullying Prevention Month some of that will help and the shame is is, is a huge <laughs> part of it but um kind of in line with that the next kind of question that I want to ask you is around narcissism so previously on the podcast I spoke about narcissism I did an episode um just mainly about what it's like working with a narcissist in the workplace um can you tell us a little bit more about what this is from a psychological perspective and why is this something that can impact others at work and even in their personal relationships yeah so it's a it's a term that um it's a term that gets thrown around a lot um but actually, from a psychological perspective, we uh, when we when we think of somebody being a narcissist, we think of somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder, uh, which is one of several types of personality disorder, um, and it's where an individual has a real inflated sense of their own importance. Uh, they have a, a deep need for um, excessive amounts of attention. Um, they have a, a huge need to be admired. They typically have very difficult relationships and uh, uh, find it very challenging to maintain healthy relationships and also a notable lack of empathy for others. I think that is te- that, that tends to that that does add up to the picture that someone has in their most people have in their minds when they think of a narcissist. I think often also when we think of in the kind of cultural narrative of talking about narcissists, the um the natural progression is that people tend to talk about empaths. So mm. being on the other side of the spectrum as being somebody who's very sensitive, um, can't help but be tuned into other people's needs and finds it very difficult to switch off from that. Mm. Doesn't mind doesn't mind taking a step back if it means that somebody else can take a step forward. Um, and you can see how both of those things sit on um, yeah, an extreme end of a spectrum. But I do think it's important to mention the empath piece because I think a lot of the people who, who will be listening now and thinking that they have come into contact with narcissistic people and that they've suffered for it can probably see a little bit of themselves in that empath profile. Yeah, that's really, really interesting again. And I'm really glad you mentioned the empath um, element of it and the fact that you mentioned, yeah, it, it is a, it's a personality thing because I think it is often thrown around. I mean, from, from yeah. your perspective as a psychologist, when it is kind of thrown around or used in the, in, in the wrong way, how do you build awareness around that to make sure? Because somebody could have narcissistic traits, but it doesn't mean they're a narcissist, right? They have to be actually diagnosed by a clinician, right? Is that correct? So, uh, well, <laughs> technically, technically, if somebody's going to get some kind of, you know, reach out for help, or therapeutic support around yeah. their narcissistic features, yeah, ideally a clinician would have diagnosed it. I think yeah. it's probably one of those conditions where people are not likely to go to the mm. doctor and say, I think I'm a narcissist. I yeah. also suspect most people who <laughs> think that about themselves are not by virtue yeah. of the fact that they're wondering, am I a narcissist? I think there's yeah. a couple of things that come to mind immediately that I, I want to touch on. And the first mm-hmm. is that we can, all, we can all show these personality traits. 
in certain moments and actually it's appropriate that you do so for example uh, like an example if you're going to give a big presentation at work and you want for people who are senior to you uh, to you to recognize the quality of your work and you want for them to see how hard you've worked and you want for them to see the value that you've brought to the table and in that way you're you know you're really reaching out for their attention you want them to admire your work um, and you want for people in the room to pay you attention that doesn't make you a narcissist that's situationally appropriate I think the piece around when we have narcissism, which is damaging, is when it's constant and you can't put it down to certain certain situations and also importantly that it's harmful to others. And so I think it's important to be able to notice, notice if, if you're in a work environment where there are people like that. And if it's helpful, I can share some, I can share some things to look out for. Yeah, yeah, that would be really helpful, actually. Yeah. So, because I, again, I think it's one of those things that um, sometimes those who are in workplace environments where they think that they are suffering at the hands of a narcissist, they, again, they're not sure. Is it in my head? Is it not? And am I being gaslit? Or, or, or is it real? And so mm. notice when, if there's somebody in your workplace who is taking credit for other people's work, if they are regularly dodging responsibility when something has gone wrong and they had a hand in it. Um, it's a point of emotional maturity to be able to, to take ownership of your mistakes yeah. as well as your successes. Um, notice if, if the person that you're thinking of, or maybe you're not the person you're thinking of, but the, maybe you're looking at your workplace, but somebody who has favourites who they lean on and they develop really... Um, what seem like warm, friendly relationships. But when that person has, or when the second person in that relationship no longer has obvious usefulness, they get dropped um, because their usefulness has now run out. Uh, I would also look out for people who take over in meetings on a regular basis, even though they don't necessarily, their role doesn't demand for them to. So obviously, if we're talking about somebody whose job it is to lead the meetings, that doesn't count. But if it's yeah, it's somebody who takes over with their with their energy, with the things they have to say, with the space they take up, even that that mm. would count. Um, people who have people who have a, a divide and conquer way of going about um, being in the office, and so they're pitting people against each other, but also you know making alliances that suit them. Mm. Um, and also somebody who regularly has unreasonable demands of others without apology, without any gratitude. Um, and it's a regular it's a regular piece that's happening. I think those can be great, great ways to start identifying if actually what we need mm. is, is uh, a narcissist at work. Um, mm. Wow. It brings up, brings up a lot of memories of some of the experiences I've had in bad toxic workplaces but I suppose in a way anyone who is listening to this who is going through that maybe it will be helpful to them so that's really really um interesting and I know it's a big topic but um I appreciate you sharing your perspective on it is there anything else you would like to add around narcissism maybe some misconceptions or anything else I think rather than misconceptions what what because I actually I think that people have good a good sense of what narcissism mm. 
um, can look like. And I think actually people tend to have a great felt sense of what it feels like mm-hmm. in the presence of someone who's narcissistic. But if I can maybe give some advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. Often when people find themselves embroiled in a relationship with a narcissist at work, they don't fully know what's going on until it's quote unquote too late because they're in the relationship. Make a point of being an observer in your workplace. Remember, it is your workplace. It's not your home and it's not your family life. So you can maintain an emotional boundary by taking a step back and having a look at the dynamics in your workplace. Notice what's going on between people who maybe you don't don't spend all of your time speaking to, but you are in the same vicinity as. Um, Do an audit of your own boundaries. And notice then, and be really strict with yourself, but notice, is are there leaks? Am I, am I opening up space to be taken advantage of? Mm. Um, I would be cautious to not throw the word narcissist around. It probably won't make anything better. <laughs> yep. But that even that is a point of knowing how to, how to diffuse a situation and fuel a fire versus fueling a fire. And also, mm. that's your need, your need for people who maybe are taking advantage of you. Because if you're not reliant on them, that allows you to be able to step back a little. Mm. Mm. And not nice. be totally embroiled and exhausted by that situation. Yeah, no, really, really great advice. Really great advice. I think uh, sometimes it can overconsume you and it's, it's really interesting what you said about most people have an awareness so I think I had an awareness but it's that denial part until you're like there and you're in it for a while you kind of keep on denying it a little bit but you know it's there if, if that kind of makes sense attached makes, to what I'm saying there. No, it makes total sense and there's also the difficulty of what I was saying before about the safety piece you're mm. also thinking I have to find a way to navigate this because I don't want to lose my job I don't want to be that mm. person who's seen as being a troublemaker I also don't want to be seen as a person who is reporting other people to HR. That's also not the look that most ambitious people are going for. Um, And also there's a sense of, I I think people will get into a state of thinking, I think I can work this out. And thinking, is it really that bad? Because day to day, it's not so bad. Day to day, you find a way to manage. The difficulty is when it's, it's, um, it's developed into into something that really is hurting your self-esteem hurting your self-worth hurting your ability to be happy at work and many months maybe even years have passed and you're not really sure how it all happened because you were just surviving day to day totally totally i'm sure a lot of listeners will resonate with that thank you so much very very interesting um moving on a little bit natasha i mean i know you do a lot of interesting work with young people as well and as you know i work with young people as well um helping them with careers advice and um I kind of want to find out a little bit more from you about what you think some of the most common issues are that have come up since the pandemic and what can like really schools and careers advisors like myself do to support the young people that we work with oh gosh I could talk forever um, <laughs> <laughs> I won't I promise um but I so I think I can probably split up between the the education and ambition piece and then the mental health piece so this, the pandemic has changed how children children I you know what I'm going to say I'm just going to say kids 
And I'm going to use that to encompass uh, children and teens. But it has changed the way that kids see school. It's changed the way that kids think about their futures. Um, there's the obvious piece of the fact that, you know, uh, a lot of families went from saying we would never homeschool to no longer having the luxury of the choice. Um, and so I think kids got a real insight into actually how can I, you know, how technology would support their education in a way when they couldn't be in the classroom. And I think that on the on the positive side, that opened up a, a creative way of thinking for the kids whose teachers knew how to harness that. But unfortunately, that was the minority. And I think this country, it was even more a minority. I saw, I would say, it was in other countries where teachers harnessed it very well from the start. And I think in the UK, it it took much longer for teachers to to really harness it rather than try and vaguely manage it. So there was that. Um, I also think it, it changed the way that, uh, all the kids thought about their careers and they started thinking about university and also the obviousness of how this changed um, competition for great university places because of the way that the grading happened. That leads me to think about the mental health piece. So we know mm. that there was a huge spike in depression and anxiety in kids. Um, the the conditions that we work with uh, in in our office, it will be it will range from depression and anxiety right through to what I would say are more extreme manifestations of that kind of suffering. So gender dysphoria, um, eating disorders, addiction disorders. Um, and, and I think what I noticed most mostly was not necessarily that kids were suffering more, but more that their parents were noticing more because they were all in the same home 24-7 and it was impossible to ignore it anymore. The child that developed a depression and anxiety in the first few months of the pandemic, they, I, what we found when we kind of did our deep dive was that there was symptoms of it before. It's just that they were getting ignored. Yeah. And I also think there was a change in, in the way the stigma exists with mental health. So mm-hmm. um, perhaps a couple of years back, parents, um, parents would carry a bit of a shame around saying my child is suffering because they would put it on themselves like what did we do and what did we miss and actually because now it's come out that so many kids are suffering um there's I think uh, parents have found some space where they can offer themselves a bit of grace and say actually it's not all this is not our you know quote unquote our fault and there's no shame in asking for help and I think that piece is a is a cultural change that was a long time coming and very necessary yeah mm. I, I do think it's just really really interesting because I'm working one day a week in a school now Amazing. and yeah and I'm really enjoying it but um I do think that seeing the impact that the pandemic has had on them, even though they're back in school, there's like this, I don't know, there's kind of this weird grey cloud. I'm not going to call it a dark cloud. I'm going to call it a grey cloud instead because it's almost as though they're still readjusting, if that makes sense, Natasha. You know, like they're readjusting to coming out of the lockdown, the pandemic and being in education. I mean, have you seen that kids have been finding it not difficult but been finding it maybe a little bit challenging going back to school and waking up and those kind of normal things that they used to do yes and I'll tell you why though um Mm. the waking up and sleeping piece um 
I think that actually, pro- if it came to be for kids, it, it existed for kids who perhaps already had disordered sleep. Mm, but, yeah. Um, in terms of the challenge of just properly getting back into a rhythm and enjoying it, I think for the the let's say twelve to eighteen months that we felt like we were really in the depths of the pandemic. Yeah. We get used to expecting position people who are in positions of authority to know what they're doing. Hmm. and especially for kids kids thrive on routine they thrive on structure and they thrive yeah. on knowing that they can trust their elders to know what they're doing and actually um, what we found during that time was head teachers were living day to day because they didn't know what the guidance was going to be that they got the next day the moment yeah. you found out one child had it or one child had been exposed you had to shut down the year group and you know i mean there was that whole piece from a government level we also didn't know whether we were coming or going and we were constantly subject to advice that was then being recalled um, or, or strategies that were being uh, played out in a new way. And what that, in the end, what that meant was for both students and teachers, nobody knew if you were coming or going. And I think that led to a place of real exhaustion and fatigue and nobody's actually, especially in school environments, had the opportunity yeah. to fully recover from that. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I and I don't know. You know, like when you're when you're speaking, I do think that uncertainty is still kind of there a little bit because although we are out of the lockdown and we're living fairly normalized, the pandemic has not gone away, has it? It's not. It's not. I mean, now we're talking about the iterations also of the virus. Um, you know the, the conversations around the vaccine maybe you know on its own two doses not being enough and again it comes about it comes back to that conversation about the the um almost like the goalposts keep moving yeah yeah and that sense of exhaustion the ongoing stress it just continues and i think the other thing that's worth pointing out about kids and teens is not only are they carrying the stress of their experience and the exhaustion of their experience, and some kids are carrying a lot of stress over their grades. Yeah. Combine that with Zoom fatigue and then combine that with the fact that kids really do absorb the feelings of their parents. And parents are also human beings who are navigating this really tricky time, also carrying stress, anxiety, overwhelm, exhaustion, especially mothers who are like looking after the home and looking after work. And so it's easy to see how it spirals. It's really easy to see how it spirals and also becomes increasingly difficult to climb out of if you don't know how to climb out of it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I think it's it's, it's going to be an ongoing thing for the next few years is, is, is how I see it. I don't know how you see it, Natasha. I mean, we've always had uh, psychological issues surrounding everything, but I do feel that this is going to leave a little bit of an imprint somewhat on, on, on everybody. I think there's two things that um, are really interesting there. Well, the first thing you said about mental health has always been an issue. It really has. I mean, I'm in my 30s. I went to an all-girls school. If I look back <laughs> through the lens that I have now, there was absolutely mental health issues left, right and centre, but nobody spoke about um, it. Yes, it was just one of those things that was considered to be, well, this is what teenage girls are like. Um, and thankfully, we've moved on from that narrative that, well, it's normal to be upset all the time or it's normal to be, you know... Um, in that state of suffering and that is just teenage angst mm. um but also the, the the fact that the conversation i think the narrative has become so centered around talking about 
how bad it is and how much kids are suffering. And what I have found to be true, whilst we have the fortunate position in our work environment at Veda that we're working, we're always working with our clients on uh, protocols and working through methodologies that get really exciting transformational outcomes. That is not the norm. That is not the norm experience for most kids and teens. And even most people are just talking about their mental health issues in a, almost in an echo chamber. And I'm not convinced that that helps people to recover. That doesn't help us in a state of joy and happiness and excitement about living life. What that does is it puts us in a state of reliving the suffering over and over again. Yeah, it does. It does. And I do think that there's a long way to go on that. One one of the kind of last things that I wanted to ask you, Natasha, because you've been amazing and you've shared so much awesome stuff already. Thank you so much. I hope is so. <laughs> is <laughs> I um <laughs> Yeah, no, very and very interesting. Um and lastly I just wanted you to kind of share with us what have kind of been your biggest life and career lessons so far and how have these lessons helped you be who you are today? Oh gosh, um, this is a good one, but it's a tough one. <laughs> um, so actually the first thing that comes to mind is, <laughs> is trying to not take everything so seriously. If you're somebody who is a bit of a perfectionist, if you're very ambitious, um, and you are the quality of your work matters to you. I, I'll bet this has been my experience anyway. It's easy to find yourself in a space where you take everything really seriously, and therefore it takes a toll on you when things don't go the way you want the first time. Um, and so I think there's that piece. I'm sure you're really familiar with the idea of growth mindset. I think mm-hmm. developing a growth mindset uh, you know, in my twenties and, and thirties has been hugely hugely important for my my progress i think Mm. the interesting thing about growth mindset um is that people assume that it's high achieving people who have it but Mm. high achieving people tend to not have it because their identity has got tied up with being high achieving and so you don't have Mm. to take risks and get things wrong Um, but the more that i have got comfortable with taking taking uh, calculated risks and not being afraid to experiment um the the more of a fun time I think I've had and I think that's important right this life is not a yeah. it's not a, a dress rehearsal you've got to have a good time especially if you're trying to do big things and exciting things and trying to make the world a better place mm, mm, definitely no we no, we do have to do exciting things and interesting things because as as we get older our our kind of perspective on things change as well doesn't it exactly exactly that and I I like to think it's as we get older we we develop a more balanced perspective um, yeah. but yeah, yeah it's an evolution yeah evolution I like that word it's an evolution I always kind of say that with the professional women that I'm working with that you know things will change yeah. and it's all it's all kind of like a working process it's a it's a journey I almost call it like a, a journey a yellow brick road where we're always going to continue to evolve and thrive somewhat um so thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been so great speaking with you today Natasha can you kind of tell us a little bit more about how people can connect with you in the online space yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been it's been such fun. 
Um, it's it's a gray it's a gray afternoon here. I don't know what the weather's like your side, so it's brightened mine up. Um, <laughs> let me, so I was going to say, let me think. So on Instagram, I am at I am Natasha T. Um, so okay. I am, and then Natasha, and then T the letter rather than T the drink. Um, or you can email me if you like, natasha at natashatawari.co.uk. I love hearing from people, especially if um, if anything I've said has left a mark on you. I Don't try to let me know. It always makes my day. Okay. Um, and uh, you can find my work online at natashatawari.co.uk. Or if you're interested in the work that I do with kids and teens, have a look at thevedagroup.com. Awesome. I will put all of those in the show notes as well. So don't so don't worry in case anybody's missed anything. It will all be in the show <laughs> notes when the podcast goes out. But thank you again so much. And it's been a pleasure um, chatting with you today, Natasha. Thank you for having me. Speak soon. Speak soon. Bye. Bye. I really appreciate all of you who listen to this podcast. Share it have subscribed already and left me a review but I would really really appreciate if you haven't left a review and you're a loyal listener that you please take the time if you have an Apple Podcasts account to leave me a review if you're not on Apple as I know many of you aren't please share it also if there was a topic or if there was something that you think could really make a difference to someone tell people about it The more visibility this podcast has, the more difference it's going to make to people's lives and people's careers. Thanks so much.